Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to our weekly teaching podcast here at South Hills Church in Corona, California. Our hope is that as you listen in, you'll find yourself laughing and learning and being challenged and encouraged to grab hold of who God has made you to be. Enjoy the message. The title of my message today is That Can't Be Right. That Can't Be Right. Now, here's what I I wonder about you. Have you ever gotten into a full-on fight with someone about what the actual lyrics to a song are? Has this ever happened to you? Like, and I'm not talking like surface, I'm talking like, like they were just like, no, I swear it's this. And you're like, that's, that can't be right. And you tried to convince him it was another thing. And you were just like, I'm not even sure we could be friends after this. I mean, it was just so intense. Um, I, I had this, hap- I've had this happen to me many times because I, I tend to get like really interested and passionate about pop culture things that really don't matter actually, but they seem to matter to me. And in fact, uh, there's this 80s band called the, the Eurythmics. I don't know if you've ever heard of them, but they had, they had this song right here and maybe you recognize it. Sweet dreams are made of this. Okay. So here's the issue I have with this. I had a friend in high school who was convinced that the lyric, the opening lyric to this song was, sweet dreams are made of cheese. Who am I to disagree? And he did not think this as a joke. He thought this very seriously was the actual lyrics to this song. Now, I want to say just out of the gate, I don't disagree with this as like a philosophy of life, okay? And we're just talking about like a principle in general. I do agree. Sweet dreams are made of cheese. Cheese is delectable. It's delicious. It's amazing. It makes everything better, okay? Uh, But that that doesn't mean that it's the actual lyrics of this Annie Lennox song, and it's not. And here's the problem with this, okay? I grew up, unlike my children, in an age without the internet. So it, things weren't solvable in the same way they are right now. You get in a fight with somebody in high school in the 90s, and they're just like, I'm telling you, sweet dreams are made of cheese. And you're like, that's not, I can't be right. That's not what it is. And they're insisting on it. You can't just like, you know, Google it and just be like, see, whatever. You, you had to actually, at some point, Go to a store that sold CDs, find that exact CD, pull out the liner notes, look up the lyrics, and prove it to them. And if they weren't there, it wasn't like, we didn't have phones then. You couldn't take a picture and text it to them and be like, ha-ha, you're stupid. You know, you couldn't do that. You would have to be neurotic enough to go to multiple CD stores, find this 1980s CD, buy the one with the full liner notes, purchase it, bring it to school, and show it to the person. And what he didn't count on is, I am that neurotic. (laughs) And that's exactly what I did. And I brought it and I showed him. And I'm like, look, it's not sweet dreams are made of cheese. It's sweet dreams are made of this. And he's like, this? That's not even how it sounds. I'm like, she's saying it to make it rhyme. She's saying, she's adding on, you know, and she's saying these, which I get sounds like cheese, but it's not. It's, it's, she's, it sounds like these, but it's actually this. And he's like, that doesn't even make any sense. Sweet dreams are made of this. That doesn't even make any sense. Like, and this was his defense, his honest defense. He's like, you know what? That's a misprint. What? 
Let me get this straight. This is your position, okay? That you, some random junior high kid, okay? From Roosevelt Junior High in Des Moines, Iowa, you're the only one who's got it right. And all of Sony Music has it wrong. And he's like, yes, that is my position. And at that point, I was like, I'm not going to be able to help this kid. I'm not going to be able to help him. He's a lost cause. You know what I mean? I'm not, there's nothing I can do. I've done everything I can. I tried to help him, right? I tried to reach out. But this person is probably going to be stupid forever. <laughs> and I got to tell you guys, I bumped into him just a few years ago. And he, he's an idiot. He really is. <laughs> he's still dumb. No, I'm just kidding. That last part didn't happen. I'm sure he's fine. He's doing great. He has Google now. So, I mean, like, it's solvable. But I, I think the bizarre thing about this, I think we've all had, like, moments like him because eventually, like, he realized that he was wrong even though it wasn't that exchange with me, which would have been exciting for me. But we've all had moments where we were convinced we were absolutely right about something, and then later we found out just how wrong we were. Like, and, and it's not that we were lying, right? It's that we were mistaken. And sometimes we conflate these two things. We think that if someone's wrong, it's because they're lying, like they're trying to mislead us. But sometimes it's just that like, we really thought that's what it was. We really believed the thing that we were like putting out there only to realize that we were off. And I think it's really funny like how hard it is for us to admit that we're wrong about almost anything, even if it's a dumb thing, even if it's something that really doesn't matter in the scheme of things. Like, you've probably been there before where you got sucked into like a side argument that you just couldn't let it go. And then like later you backed up off it and or maybe somebody, in my case, it's usually my wife, she's like, why do you care about that? It's not important. I'm like, it's, it's the principle of the thing, right? And you just, you can't let it go. And there's something about us that is this way. But, but sometimes the thing that someone is trying to draw your attention to, the fact that you might be wrong about, is a big deal. And I think there are, there are times where we don't want to admit we're wrong, and there are other times where we feel like we can't afford to be wrong. And I wonder if you've had that moment, like where whatever it is is so core to how you see the world that questioning it means questioning a lot of other things, like your identity, your sense of security, your reputation, the way you've spent a lot of your time, your money, your energy. And it just feels like, man, if I'm wrong about this, there is a ripple effect to that wrongness that I'm not sure if I can handle. We have this sort of thought when we're confronted with someone where we're just like, I don't know, I'm in too deep. I've already come down like so hard on this stance. I've talked about it. I've posted about it. I've convinced other people to sort of come over to my side on this issue. This stance has kind of become a characteristic of mine. Like it's, it's sort of become how other people think of me. I'm really invested. I got to be honest. I'm not sure I can peel the bumper sticker off my car at this point. Okay. It's been on there for a long time. So no, I can't be wrong because there's too much on the line. And there's actually a term for this thing, for sort of hunkering down in this particular way. It's called the sunk cost fallacy, okay? And this essentially means it's, it's the reluctance to abandon something that you're heavily invested in, even after it's clear that doing so would be beneficial. You just can't let it go because you're in too deep. 
because it would cost too much, because it'd be too embarrassing. And ultimately, I think, you know, if we're honest, if we dig below the surface of this thing, it's not that we're afraid of an idea being false, because I don't think we are. I think it's that we're afraid that our identity is going to be false. When something ends up not being what we thought it was, and we built so much of ourself on top of it, we feel like we can't afford to be wrong about that thing because then we'd have to question everything. And there's nothing scarier than that. That would be absolutely unbearable. And so you know what a lot of us do? We double down. We're just like, you know what? I don't, I don't, I don't want to see the study, okay? I don't want to read that scripture, I don't want to hear that person's story, okay? Like, I've already made up my mind. I don't need any new information. I'm good. And what I've realized about humankind in general is that a lot of us, we say that we, you know, want the truth, but do we really want to know what's true? Or do we just want someone to affirm what we already think is true? I think this is a big question for us to wrestle with in our own lives. And you know what I think the answer is for a lot of us, if we're honest? It depends. If I'm honest about this question, it, my answer to it, I wanna say like, of course I wanna know the truth, but the real answer that I have is like, sometimes it kinda depends. It depends on how uncomfortable or disorienting or embarrassing or expensive the truth ends up being for me in the long run. We don't want to admit that that's how we assess things, but ultimately a lot of us do. And so here's the question behind the question. If you wanted to know what's true, how would you find out what it is? Like, I mean, are certain things true for everyone or is, is everything just sort of subjective? Like, is there such thing as the truth or is there just sort of like your truth and my truth and their truth, you know? And, and what is that? It's like, whatever I feel like it is today, you know? Like, it's like, is that the way it works, right? Maybe some of you are like, well, the truth is obviously built on, on, on the facts, right? But what about alternative facts, you know what I mean? Is that like a thing? Is that real or have we, I, we, I, I don't know. I mean, it gets talked about. And who decides what the facts are? And I, I think like this whole conundrum right here is the, the existential struggle of our age. This question of who or what is the source of truth and is that source trustworthy? This is what we wonder. This is what we wrestle with because a lot of well-meaning people are mistaken. Have you figured this out yet? And other people are just flat out lying. And all of us have sort of built in bias and limiting perspectives that skew our view. And so the question keeps coming up over and over and over again, who can you trust? Like, have you ever um, had someone tell you something on behalf of someone else? And they told you and there was something that was just like, hmm, I don't know about that. And the immediate question you had in your mind, maybe you said it out loud, maybe you just kept it in your, in your heart. You were just like, is that really what they said? Or is this your interpretation of what they said? You ever had this before? If you grew up with siblings, you had this all the time. Well, mom said, and you're like, mm, is that exactly what she said? 
or is this your interpretation of what she said? And this happens to us even today. Maybe this happened to you at work, right? With family still, even though you're an adult, with somebody who's relaying like a, a study or a video or a documentary thing that they saw. And you're like, is that really what they said? I mean, is that, or is that somebody's interpretation? And like, we're wanting to know, like, where, where did that thing come from? And, you know, if you can't shake that suspicion that something's off, the, the thing that most of us want to do, we want to go straight to the source, Right, And so if it's interpersonal, oftentimes we want to track down the, the, the person and we're just like, did you really say or do that? What did you mean by this? Am I, am I interpreting this right? Again, the kid version is, mom! <laughs> and she gets in there and they're like, they said, is that what you said? But you didn't mean, right? And you're, you're trying to unpack it. Uh, be, because you're, you're wondering if something maybe has gotten lost in translation. And, and this is what I think makes truth even more complicated to locate for us, is that sometimes um, we put belief in a bad source, and, and other times there's a breakdown between the source of the truth and the way it's being explained, illustrated, or applied, so the, the base level concept is real and true, but something has gotten distorted somewhere along the way. Now, like even a basic sort of belief in God at the very least is an assumption that something bigger than us set all of this into motion, right? Um, and, and that, whatever that thing is, is the source of, of, of truth. And, and what I wonder is if you ever wish that whatever that was would just tell you what's going on. Because I have. Like, I wonder if you've ever wished, like, man, life would be so much easier, like, if, if, if there wasn't this gap between the source of truth and the explanation and demonstration of truth. And I, th I think we've all thought this at some point. And the thing that is so profound, I think this is one of the most difficult ideas to wrap your head around if you're not a Christian, not someone who believes in Jesus. This is one of the more far-fetched things to actually uh, begin to come to belief in. But as crazy as it sounds from a Christian perspective, the belief is that that's who Jesus is. That Jesus is the reduction of the space or the gap between the source of truth and the actual explanation illustration or application of truth, that it's one in the same. Now listen to the way one of the first theologians from the New Testament describes this. Again, this is like one of the more mind-blowing verses, I think, in all of Scripture. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 says this, Christ, referring to Jesus, is the visible image of the invisible God, right? And the reason that we need that is because haven't you ever thought, it's really hard to believe in something that's invisible, right? And God's like, I know that you're like that because I made you. So you're going to need to see something, right? He existed before everything was created and is supreme over all creation. That's a huge claim, right? That Jesus, the person, actually existed somehow um, before everything came into existence. That through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. And God, in all of his fullness, so all of God, was pleased to live in Christ, existed somehow in Jesus. And through him, God reconciles all things to himself. That somehow, all of God existed inside of Jesus, which 
Like, maybe you're just like, I, that's, I can't even comprehend that. I can't either, right? It's too big of a concept to wrap my brain around fully. And somehow through the life and teachings and way and sacrifice of Jesus, that Jesus is actually reconciling, bringing, repairing, bringing everything back together that is broken about humanity, including the humanity in me. I'm not sure that it is possible to pack like more big ideas into like, you know, two short sentences. It's insane. But what the author is saying essentially is this. If you want to know what's true, look to Jesus. And if you want to know what to do with truth, look to Jesus. This is essentially the summary of what this author is saying inside of this verse. And this is ultimately, this concept is what aggravated people about Jesus, that he was somehow the embodiment of everything that was true, which is fine. But the problem that people had with that is that sometimes he seems to disagree with my truth. And I don't like that. Or sometimes he seems to disagree with how truth is supposed to be used, at least from my view. I mean, if I knew the truth, I knew that was the truth, I would do something different with it than what you're doing with it. Because maybe you've realized this too, like people don't just disagree on what is true, they disagree on what to do with what is true. You ever seen someone tell the truth to someone else in a way that was shaming, destructive, unproductive, or maybe even flat-out abusive, right? And they were just like, I'm just telling the truth. And you're like, you are, you're just a jerk. You know, like, it's like the nugget of truth is not the issue. It's, it's mostly just you, you know what I mean? Like, that's the way it's coming off. Because the reality of it is, lies are damaging to everyone, but even truth is damaging in the hands of the wrong person. And we think all we need to do is get our hands on the truth, but Honestly, we need to, once we get our hands on what is true, we need to be careful at how we handle the truth. And Jesus seems to care about both things. And people were always asking Jesus to tell him the truth about all sorts of things that they were interested in. But instead of just giving them a straight answer, um, what Jesus often did was to question them back about why they wanted to know the truth about that thing and what they intended to do with it once they got it. And I want, to, I want to give you sort of an, an illustration of what I'm talking about. This story, interestingly, comes right after the story we sort of talked through and highlighted last week about Jesus gets arrested in this garden. And after that uh, like arrest, he gets brought before a series of, of sort of judges. And one of these judges is this guy by the name of Pilate. And in John chapter 18, uh, verse 33, they have this little exchange between the two of them. And this one says, Pilate called for Jesus to be brought to him. Are you the king of the Jews? He asked him. And Jesus replied, is this your own question or did others tell you about me? Now, I, I don't know about you, but it just makes me like Jesus even more, right? He asked, uh, this guy asked him a very straight question and he's just like, is this something you wanna know or is this something, have you heard about me from other people? Like, where is this sort of thing coming from? This is classic Jesus, if you read through the Gospels, one thing you will notice, he hardly ever answers the questions that he's asked, which infuriated the people around him. You know what he usually did? The same thing he does here. He just replied with another question. 
And it drove people nuts because you know what they were thinking? The same thing we would think if someone did that. Just be direct, right? Like, why can't you just give me the answer? Are you avoiding the subject? Is it that you're too afraid to take a stance? No. Jesus used questions to surface people's motives. Even here in this conversation with Pilate, he's trying to get at the question behind the question. Like, why is it that you're asking this? Because here's the reality. Questions don't drop out of thin air. They come from somewhere. They're motivated by something. And Jesus seemed to want us to wrestle with that. Like, Jesus' most common curiosity was, why would you ask that of me right now? That's a great question. But before we get to the question itself, before we wrestle with what the answer is, why would you ask that of me right now? And it's an attempt not to avoid a difficult subject, but to strip away distractions and awaken the self-awareness of the person asking the questions. And here's the thing I wonder about you and your life and the, the burning questions on your soul is like, do you know what drives your questions? Like what desires and insecurities and fears and pain prompt you to ask the things that you do? Because the thing that oftentimes we say is like, well, I just want to know the answer to this. Why? Why is that a big deal to you? Why do you want to know that from Jesus right now? It's an introspective question. And the reality is that the best questions aren't really those that others can answer. They're mirrors to help us see our true motives. But sometimes we don't want to answer those questions or look in that mirror because we don't want to have to face what we might see about ourselves. You ever not want to answer a question that someone asks you about you because you kind of have a, a gut feeling about what the real answer is and it's a little dark? You really don't want to go there. You don't want to admit it, not just to them. You don't want to admit it to yourself. And I think in this moment, Pilate does what a lot of us do. He avoids Jesus' questions altogether. He doesn't want to go deep, right? He doesn't want to examine himself. Pilate's questions are about affirming his own intellect, not genuinely searching for the truth. He doesn't really care what's true. He just wants to gather enough information to justify washing his hands of the whole situation. Because in this story, to Pilate, what's true is whatever keeps him free from personal responsibility. And sometimes I think we find ourselves in the same boat, right? We're asking questions, we're in an interaction, and we don't really care about what their answer is, right? We're just looking for a, an opportunity to sort of show off our own intellect and what we know and how smart we are and the research that we did that I know you didn't do. Right, We want people to know how brilliant we are, and we're not really interested in, in sort of fact-finding as much as we're interested in gathering whatever information we can to excuse ourselves from having to take accountability or responsibility for a certain situation that maybe we need to deal with inside ourselves. And the story goes on to say this, John chapter 18, verse 35, Pilate retorted, I love a good retort. <laughs> Your own people and the leading priest brought you to me for trial. Why? What have you done? And Jesus answered, my kingdom 
is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over for judgment and punishment. And my kingdom is not of this world. And Pilate said, so you are a king. And Jesus responded, you say I'm a king. I came into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. What is truth? Pilate asked. And Jesus said, you can't handle the truth. <laughs> Actually, I think that's from something else. That's from something else. Can you see like, like people's frustration with Jesus? They're like, can you just answer this simple question? He's like, maybe the question isn't so simple. Maybe there are other dimensions to this question. Maybe this question isn't about them or this other thing. Maybe it's about you. And they're like, yeah, so can you answer the original question? And he's just like, the original question is fascinating, but uh, what about what's going on in your heart, in your life, and, and the reason you're asking this question? And then finally, guy's just like, I don't even know what you're talking about anymore. Like, what's happening? And, and what's interesting about this is that, you know, Pilate wants a statement. Right? He, he wants some sort of like a, a, a principle to be spoken. But this whole interaction is really Jesus saying like, what is the truth? You're looking at him. And I think this is the earth shattering, mind expanding idea behind Christianity that again, I, I just wanna acknowledge is the most difficult thing to wrap your brain around if, if you're just sort of exploring Christianity or if you're like, I don't know if I buy into it already. Jesus insisted truth exists in a person not just a set of principles. And he insisted that he is that person, that somehow all of, of truth, ultimate reality, like was packaged in a person, and that person is Jesus. And so it's difficult to sort of dissolve or, or reduce truth down to just a principle that, that you can use for whatever you want to, because really truth is packaged in a person, which means I, there's some sort of a relational aspect of wrestling through how to access it. Uh, Jesus says it this way in John chapter 14, verse six. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In other words, he's saying like, I, am, I embody the best way to live, the truth about reality, and the meaning of life itself. Look at me, look at my life, look at the things that I'm saying Jesus says this to Pilate, like anybody who loves the truth can recognize what I'm saying is true. This is so interesting to me because this is essentially Jesus saying like, even people who don't believe I'm God, even people who don't like, are like, I don't know if I can get on board with all the things. If they're just like, I just want what is true. They're looking at my teachings and, and they're, they're saying to themselves, there is something that is transcendently true about what you're saying. Like, if you actually play out the things that you're saying to try, it is a better way to live. Like, you are demonstrating the way to live life to the full. And Jesus is just like, yeah, just try it. Or as we said earlier, essentially what Jesus is saying here is like, if you want to know what's true, look to Jesus. If you want to know what to do with what is true, look to Jesus. Now, sometimes we'd rather it just, you know, truth just be a principle instead of a person. We're like, that just makes it so much more complicated. And I think the reason we want this is that if you could reduce truth to a simple black and white principle, you wouldn't have to wrestle with the ways, all the many ways that it's deeply personal. 
the ways it requires you to confront yourself instead of just going off on everybody else. Because to Jesus, surfacing truth isn't a, about just getting the right information, but about experiencing personal transformation. Which is why he asked people questions of like, why do you want to know this information? Because if you don't know how to handle truth wisely, if you're not going to leverage it to transform your own heart and life, maybe, maybe you don't deserve to know. If you're going to use it as a weapon on everybody else as opposed to a scalpel to do surgery on yourself, maybe we don't need to have this conversation. And as you can imagine, it infuriated people. Jesus once said this in John chapter 8, verse 31. He says, if you remain faithful to my teachings, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And he's not talking about knowing random intellectual truths about the world or fun facts. He's talking about internally knowing the truth about yourself. And I wonder if you've ever had this moment where you, you learned something about yourself that was like really hard to hear, but it changed everything. And I, I don't know what that thing was. Maybe it was something about your temperament or your past or your personality or your capacity. Maybe it was about the way people saw you or this habit that was crippling you. But you had this aha moment. And it was like you, you actually looked into the mirror of truth that showed you something profound about your own life. And maybe the way that you weren't living in the truth or maybe the way that you weren't living the best life, and maybe the way you weren't following the best way to be. And suddenly you were like, wow, I've been wrong. I'm wrong. And now that I know this, I have a decision to make. Do I want to ignore that and keep being wrong? Or, 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 or am I going to have to make some changes to the way I live my life? There's a, a, a version of this Jesus line, like, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, that, you know, is, sort of floats around recovery circles, and it's this. The truth will set you free, but first, it'll piss you off. <laughs> and if it makes you mad that I said, piss you off, then you probably shouldn't go to this church. You're not going to like it here. But the reason that this like resonates with us, right? Even if you're like, I don't like that language, there's something about it that you're just like, yeah, that is like really, why is that? And it's because learning that you're wrong often requires you to take action to make things right. And we don't often wanna do that. There are a few things we want to avoid more than having to publicly swallow our pride. It's painful. Ego death is painful. But here's the thing that Jesus kept pointing out to people and all the New Testament authors is that an, an inability to admit you're wrong is a reliable way to ensure that you probably are. The more that you're just like, I am right. I need no new information. I've cornered the market on what's true and real. Right? And all the people around you who have actually lived enough life are like, oh, it's coming. It's coming. Listen, we, I mean, you can't see it, but we all know it's not sweet. Dreams are made of cheese. You're going to find out, buddy. It's going to be a weird day. You're going to feel so dumb. 
Admit it now. The more you fight it, the weirder it's going to be. We can see it happening. One of, one of Jesus' disciples says it this way, 1 John 1.8. He says, if we claim to have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. Now, I want to just break this down because it sounds kind of churchy. And sometimes it makes it difficult for us to access because we have assumptions about what some of these words mean here. But sin literally means missing the mark or being off or inaccurate. And so you could read it this way in our modern vernacular. If you act like you're never wrong, you're lying to yourself and you've probably missed the point. That's what this is saying. The point of what? The point of a genuine search for truth. To always be learning and growing and evolving. Or to say it in a very Christian-y way, to always be becoming more Christ-like. More like Christ. To live a life that mimics the ways, the teachings, and the life of Jesus. But I will tell you, being forced to humbly reconsider something you've built your life on is a painful process. Which is why a lot of people refuse to do it. Jesus didn't deny this. You know what Jesus called the process of actually examining truth like in a deep way, in an open way? Jesus likened it to dying to yourself. Interesting, right? Jesus likened it to picking up and dragging around a 300-pound cross on your back. And here's the crazy thing. Jesus is like, if you really want to live in the truth, this painful humility, openness, ego death, you have to embrace that daily, every day. Now, when I hear that, it makes a lot of sense why a lot of people are like, you know what, I'm out. I thought the miracle was cool. Can you do the thing again where you feed everybody and it's like a buffet and you just say... <laughs> Blessed are poor people, because I'm broke. You know what I mean? I like that part. But this, this is tough. Let me just say it bluntly. Being a Christian means asking yourself, is there anything I want to believe that's contrary to how Jesus lived? Is there anything I want to believe that's contrary to how Jesus lived? And here's the question for those of you that have decided, like, you know what? I think that Jesus there's a lot of truth in him. I think that, that he shows us the way. I think that he can show me how to access the life I want. Here's the big question. If you discovered that Jesus had a different view of something than you, what would you do? If you discovered Jesus had a different view of the way you handled money, would you start budgeting differently? Like if you discovered Jesus had a different view on how you responded to people who really annoy you, would you change the way that you interacted with people? If you discovered that Jesus had a different view on the way you invest your time and energy, would you start scheduling your life differently? Or would you do what a lot of us do? Would you double down on the thing you wanna believe, on the thing you wish were true, instead of what is actually true? I mean, even to step it back even further, like, are you even willing to admit that maybe you and Jesus sometimes see things differently? And why does God have an opinion about these things that we do in the first place? It's a good question. Jesus said it is because he wants to help you 
live the fullest life possible. So it is about maximizing your time here, your experience here on earth, not minimizing it. Which means this, that the truth that Jesus is inviting you into is more about changing you than the things and people around you. And this is the opposite of how we view truth or the purpose of truth in our current society. I wanna know information so that I can change the things and people around me that I don't like. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. The truth is a series of questions that I have for you that operate as a mirror so that you can begin to see the untruths in your own life, the discrepancy between the way you think and feel and live than the way I've designed you to be. And when you begin to adjust and submit those discrepancies to me, something opens up in life that I can only describe as feeling like freedom. The way we might say it is like the feeling that you, for the first time, are actually being yourself. But oftentimes, the truth that requires us to change is the truth we least want to look at, which is why a lot of us, we settle for haggling over song lyrics instead of looking in the mirror. And this is what I want to invite you into today. I think in a, in a time when everybody wants to know what's real and what's true and what the source of truth is, the, the mind-blowing, hard-to-wrap-your-mind-around concept is that God packaged himself all of truth in a person because he, he knew that, that we needed to minimize this gap that we all feel between the source of truth and the explanation and the demonstration of truth. And then he's like, look at, watch Jesus. If you wanna know what, what, what is true about a situation, I guarantee you Jesus has faced it. He's walked through it. If you wanna know what you're supposed to do with the truth, because you're gonna wanna wield it as a weapon, look at what Jesus did with the truth he had. And what truth did Jesus have? All of it. How did it cause him to live? When you begin to embrace those things, everything changes. That's what I wanna pray into your life today. You would open your heart to embrace this sort of humility and you give Jesus permission to hold the mirror up to your life, change whatever he needs to change to make you whole. Would you bow your heads with me across this, this room as we pray? God, I am grateful for you and for who you are and for the truth that you give us. And God, I'm, I'm grateful that we don't have to stumble around wondering what is real and true on an existential level, on the deepest level, on the levels that really matter. When we push all the surface stuff out of the way, you show us what is true. You show us what to do with that truth. And God, I pray that we would examine your life closely. We would open ourselves up to your leading and we would allow you to pull us forward in life. Even those of us that are like maybe still confused, don't know what we think about you as God. May we just take your advice to simply take a step towards what you say is real and try it and see what it does for our lives. And God, I pray that as we take one step towards you, it would lead to another and another and another. 
God, as we begin to wrap our lives around you, we would notice that this really is the best way to live, that there is a freedom in following your way. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. We hope you heard something that spoke directly to where you're at right now in life. To find out more about our church, hit up our website, southhills.org slash corona, or follow us on social media at South Hills Corona. And if our messages have made a difference in your life, help us get the word out by rating and reviewing this podcast. And as always, you can support the ongoing work of our church by giving through our website at southhills.org slash give and selecting the Corona Campus. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week. God bless.